Hey everybody, welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason, and this is part two of a three-part conversation on prayer from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. In this section, we're going to be talking about the first few verses of the Lord's Prayer. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, the continuance of our conversation on prayer, and then you tune in early next week for our conclusion as we wrap up the Lord's Prayer. Thanks for being with us on Searching the Sacred. Well, so let's look at some of these words. What sticks out in the words of the Lord's Prayer? I find it interesting that in general, Jesus's orientation to God as Father, I find interesting because that doesn't have a lot of rooting. It's not that, that God wasn't Father, but that was not a common word for God or name for God in the Hebrew scriptures. So the idea that Jesus keeps orienting people to God as Father, I think is a very interesting beginning to this prayer to say, like, how does that affect how we view and feel and talk to God if we view God as a Father? And how might that even be an orientation according to these two warnings that he just gave? Don't be like the don't pray as a mask and don't pray thinking you need to get God's attention. Pray to God who's a father. Which, if we're honest, I think is a complicated term. Mm -hmm. I think it carries a lot of baggage for, for a lot of people. And it's been potentially very hurtful term for some people. And maybe even a disorienting term to, to call God that. Um, and so I think I would love to ask the question of like, not not what was a father understood as in first century culture but what like what is jesus getting at by naming god that way recognizing that he is in the first century i wonder if it helps even to start with the hour first mm. well great that's great Lisa. not my father <laughs> It's, I mean, the hour is a, it's, that's a different way to center and start a prayer. So this is not God. This is not my father who art in heaven. It's our father who art in heaven. So even starting with that hour, perhaps that's less about giving God the title as father, though that can be part of it. But also then where has that just placed me and my neighbor? We all share the same. Siblinghood. Yeah. Right. The humanity is now siblings. If we start this prayer, our father, humanity is siblings under the same household. That's an orientation. It's quite for some of us, that might be the, the hour might be the harder part than the father. For some of us, the father might be the harder part than the hour. But both those words together actually pack quite a punch of orientation. Well, yeah, we could probably do a whole day on that. <laughs> well, I just was thinking, I'm like, geez, I don't think I've ever thought about the Lord's Prayer and that it only uses plural. It's our, we, us, mm. not me, mine. Like, this is really like when we're thinking, when, when Jesus is talking about how we pray, it's, it's communal. It's communal. Including the, the debts and the debtors, like it's, it's all community 
like you could even say it's like communal sin like um not just individual sin which there what we can think of maybe maybe one of the orientations to the word father when we're thinking about that context is if we have just named that it's our then it's not just that we're siblings by naming father that names were part of the same household if we named our mother, that might be naming something of nurturing or like, and we can, we can play with all of those gender terms for God. And we've done that in other conversations, but this idea that then that orients us to being in the same household, how does it affect how we see God and neighbor? If we share the same last name, if we share the same household resources, if we all are part of upholding the same household's legacy. Right. And- and I think that's where it's like maybe important to culturally context what's going on because in that first century, the father was the one who ran the household. The mother didn't have rights of property, didn't have rights, uh, you know, in, in the same way. Whereas like in our culture today, I mean, in many households, it's the mom that runs the house and it's the mom who orders it. And so, um, it it would it would potentially be different language if this were written in our cultural setting now um and so it might be disturbing for people to hear it that way because of the gendered nature of it but culturally contextually it makes sense to say it that way like if we are children of this house you know then we are under the father's authority because that's the way authority structures were set up at that time Lisa, what are you thinking? Um, well, because there's kind of, I mean, there is a dance with father. Um, but if I think about it in terms of like, this is the person who is responsible for the provision and responsible for big decision making. And like that, like we're all in the same household. Like the centering isn't necessarily on authority of the father. It's just putting, like our father is placing all of us in a, in a position, not necessarily like father elevating and so in some ways it's like kind of I'm trying to like unpack a little bit of like the like just orienting like not I mean (laughs) I think you could put in a lot of words into the our father um that would help if, if you need to like if if father is disorienting from the prayer like I think there's a lot of things you could substitute in because I don't think yeah. that, like, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's actually about like that relationship. I think it's about the hour. Like, I think it's right. about like, trying to center people into one common denominator. And that was the, that's the quickest way to do it is to name that we all have the same provider. We all have the same, like we're in it together. Right. I, I think I heard it once. It's kind of, and then I'm going to paraphrase. It's almost like saying to the one who runs our house you know, and then it moves on, like, let your name be holy or kept holy, but like to the, like to the one who runs our house and it kind of takes the gender nature out of it, but keeps the authority and keeps the hour, like to the one who runs our house. And, and the assumption that God is good. Like you also have to wrestle a little bit with who you see God as, because if you don't see God as good, or you don't see God as safe, this is not an okay prayer for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like in mm-hmm. some ways saying like, let your will be done your kingdom has to mean that I believe that, that God has that space, like that, that is a safe and loving place for me and everyone. Well, that, that all y'all have that. Yeah. And you're getting at that in heaven piece, which is really important to tackle because 
so often it was very like, well, God is up in heaven. We're here on earth and the devil's down in hell. And so we're, we're praying to the person up in heaven. And that's what our focus is on. But I, I think uh, maybe a healthier understanding of it is uh, to maybe insert the word wholeness or like um, shalom in a way, which I know is like a leap here. Um, but the idea of like, you know, to the one who runs our house with wholeness or in wholeness, um, like, or in unity, or, you know, like, like take away the heaven piece because maybe that it gets to like other place over there as opposed to here, but it's the place where things are set, right. It's the place where things are in harmony or the place where there is perfect unity and relational health. Um, that's the, that's the, the one we're trusting to be under or to be in relationship to well, I think that's not a stretch when we, if we keep this household idea through the whole prayer and take it nine and 10, if, if we're praying to God as the, as the caregiver and provider for this household and, and that God is in heaven, and then we're praying for that God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven for the kingdom to be your kingdom come here. We are pulling God from heaven to earth. Like we're, we're doing something to say that household extends in both places. It is not, a, which is actually kind of in their audience, looking at the assumption that God was distant and saying, no, God is close. Because again, Greek culture, gods are distant. No, God is close. The household is heaven and earth, but it makes sense to start with heaven because everybody would assume God's in heaven. But then to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is saying, oh, that household is here. It's not just there. And again, that sort of provides that orientation towards wholeness as you're talking about. And even this one might be kicking the tires a little bit, um, but <laughs> Lisa hasn't kicked the tires of heresy yet, so I can. Even the idea of holy, like sanctified is your name. If we are a part of the same household, who carries the name? We do. So there's a way, even in naming that holiness of God, if this is a if this is a household prayer, then we're saying, gosh, if God's name is holy and we are part of that household, how then should we pray? How then should we live? Because that's our name. That's what we're carrying forth. And Jesus has already talked about that in chapter five. You are the light. Like, well, and that's not that's not new at all, because that's like one of the Ten Commandments, right? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. It's like basically do not carry children of Israel or children of the living presence don't carry that name around lightly because you represent that name you're 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 a child of 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 god and so um when you carry that name and do things that are, go against the covenant go against the law then you're defaming that name um mm -hmm. and here here we have it again in the lord's prayer of may that name be kept holy mm -hmm. there's a set apartness I mean, that's really a holy or sanctified can be, can, you know, have all these holier than thou connotations, but in the Hebrew scriptures, it really means, um, to be set apart. And that carries over into Greek. It's an, it's a name that's set apart. So, and we're in the, that context, just like in ours, as we, as we talked about sort of the tumultuousness of our times, that question of, of who should we be, how should we live? There's something about living differently. There's something about being set apart. There's something to kind of knowing what household we're a part of as a primary household. This isn't a primary household of Republican or Democrat. This isn't a primary household of any other category. This is a primary household of a God. 
What is that God like? And are we living that way? Which in chapter five has already been set up as loving your enemies and all sorts of things. Are we living that way? Are we praying that way? Being a peacemaker, because blessed are the peacemakers. Right. That's another, right. As we keep putting this prayer in context, we've already had the blessed are the peacemakers. We've already had the be the light. We've already had the love your enemies. Now we're talking about the prayer. So that's all already been set up as a part of who God is. Now we want that kingdom to be true here. And, you know, and I can't help, and I, I appreciate that you said this stuff, and I'm just going to repeat it, but um, you said something along the lines of like, we're not just a Republican or a Democratic household, we're a household of this set apart God. And I think one of the challenges of being set apart is being able to critically examine the the things that are just flooded into our airwaves and, and onto our phones about what we should think, because that's what the leaders and the people in powerful positions tell us to think. Um, as opposed to thinking, you know, what would it, what would it be like to be in the other person's shoes and to interact with this? Like, um, yeah, we have well, to, to say that's, yeah. We that have to apartness fall into that trap. Sorry, you say what you said. I no, 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 keep going. Well, because I think I'm, I'm realizing even I'm hearing my own words like, oh, I don't like the idea of being set apart. Like there's there's a language in here that feels like religiously triggering to me of like of like the sure. language of evangelicalism and some of that. And I'm thinking like I think in part that connects back to the hypocrite thing. Set apart is often a mask. Or set apart is a way to get God's attention. And if we've already set up that this is not about wearing a mask and it is not about trying to get God's attention, but there is still something to not get pulled into as a part of how we pray. Like, how do we hear that differently is not, I just think people have probably been harmed by a set apart theology. Yeah, yeah no, it's really good. It's really important to point out. Okay, so we've touched on a number of aspects of the kind of first part of the Lord's Prayer. We've touched on our and Father. We've talked about holiness. We've talked, you know, being set apart. We've talked about the in heaven. And we've touched on the idea of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I think it might be helpful for us just to like kind of like kind of hone in on that for a minute, you know, kind of zoom in on that. Because I think that, phrase or that call is kind of the culmination of what those first passages are talking about like if you're a part of this household and you're representing this name and you know that it's supposed to be set apart well here's what it's set apart for it's set apart to bring this kingdom to earth as it is in heaven and so it's almost like a social political and spiritual call because kingdom language is not accidental it's saying a lot to the culture at the time i think hmm. and so i think i don't know I'd, I'd love for us just to dive in there for a minute well the first thing that comes to mind for me is thinking about the history of kingship in the in the scriptures and this sort of wrestle with kingship and what humans want um and what God wants and why. So when we're thinking about the arc of the text, they were under the empire of Egypt. 
and they were enslaved and they were, they moved into this time in the wilderness when they were given a new law and Torah to govern them and said, okay, this is what it's going to look like to be a set apart people. And in that, in that way of living, you don't have a king. The king is God and there's judges and priests and there's other things besides a king. But then by the time they get into that promised land, they live without kings for a while and it doesn't go well. <laughs> the book of Judges ends with everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. They, they have a really hard time holding that space of not having a king. So by the time we get to 1 Samuel, the people go to Samuel, who's been ruling them really well, but says, hey, look, Samuel, you're a prophet. Your kids aren't walking in your ways. Like, we really need a king. Like, give us a king. And, and God is sad about that. God doesn't want to give them a king. He does. But that sort of wrestle of why wouldn't, why wouldn't kingship have been a part of that original plan of the promised land? And why do people want a king? And so in 1 Samuel 8, verse 5, the actual request from the people is, behold, you are old. Your sons don't walk in your ways. They're talking to Samuel. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations and i think that's the key part of that i mean there's a lot of the whole thing is important of course but like i think the key part of that is like all the other nations and so when you ask the question like why is kingship um maybe not god's designed ideal from the beginning in like deuteronomy and in deuteronomy i mean it even sets up like you know when you when you want a king or when you have a king it should look like this almost like god is already forecasting like i know that I know that we're going to go down this road, unfortunately, but let's at least try to mitigate the problem. And the problem is power. I mean, let's just state it right there. Like it's the problem is humans are susceptible to wanting and, and keeping power. It's, it's one thing to have power. It's another thing to keep power. Usually you get power by subjugating someone else and you keep power by keeping the subjugation going. And so power is the problem. And that's why in Deuteronomy, all the pieces of a kingship are to like mitigate monetary power, political power, military power. Um, and then everything that we see with other nations is all about power and gaining control. And so I think, I think that's what we're kind of navigating here with the king kingship mm -hmm. idea. Well, and that, um, ties into what God then says to them in response. So in Deuteronomy 17, I think it's 17, is where this um, is set up of like, okay, if you have a king, their main job is to read and reread and write for themselves a copy of the Torah, like really embedded in. Um, like that should be the guiding force. It's never the guiding force, even for the good kings. <laughs> um, and it's what, what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 8, and and it's, these are, he's a prophet. So these are the words of the Lord. This is what the King will be do for you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself to his chariots, to his horsemen. He will appoint captains and create an army. He will take your daughters to be cooks and bakers. He will take your fields and your vineyards and give them to his servants. There's a thing that's being predicted of this is how Kings operate. And by the time we get to the split kingdom of the Northern kingdom of Israel, the Southern kingdom of Judah, Ahab, when we read in the Bible in um, the time of Ahab, he is not following God, but he's a good king in terms of politically. He's building foreign alliances. He's doing all of the things that a good political king does, but it's not what God wants. And so I like, let's fast forward now to the first century. If you are 
Like, what does it mean to now use this word kingdom? Jesus uses it a lot. And suddenly it's a word that is being used and seems like a good thing. After all of these things of like the king, don't, don't do the king thing. Why is kingdom now what Jesus is talking about? Well, I feel like we can't imagine anything else in some ways. Like there's a, it reminds me actually of the conversations that we currently have around like abolition or um, rethinking how we police um, some people would say defund and that, but like even that language makes people very, like very nervous. Um, but like, because we can't have an imagination towards what else, what else is possible. <laughs> and so at, for humans, it's really hard to imagine anything other than somebody being a ruler, that somebody, there's somebody's in charge or it's a group of people in charge. There's a system, there's something that has maintains rules and laws, <laughs> gets things done. Like, it's just, I don't, well, how else would people understand what this God is doing? Like we, cause we, we seem to have missed it for eons. And I, and I think there's also a transition potentially. And, and this is where like, I think theology and like biblical history comes into play is that we know they go into exile under Babylon. We know that the Persians take over. Then we know Alexander the Great comes in and it kind of Hellenizes, like makes everything Greek. And then there's that brief period we talked about earlier in this you know, episode or in this kind of series that we're doing here on um, you know, the Maccabean revolt and and the you know this the Hasmonean dynasty that set up for a little bit, but then the Romans come in and they take over and they have a Caesar, and suddenly the faith, right? The Jewish faith, and then eventually like the Christian faith are operating within a kingdom, right? And we've moved from a theocracy, God as king, God as like the nation as a kingdom of God, representative of God, to it being um, this other iteration where there's a non-religious kingdom where we are now operating of, within a religion within that kingdom. And so I think for Jesus to come in and use kingdom language is really interesting because is he asking for there to be a new theocracy or is he asking us to have a loyalty to something more than nation and something more than the empire that we find ourselves in as citizens? Um, you know, Paul claims Roman citizenship as a first century Jewish man. And so there's a there's a standing that he has in that society based on his nationality and based on where he was born. Um, but he's not expected to be primarily a Roman citizen. He's primarily meant to be a child of God and, and primarily meant to be under kind of like the rule of Christ. Right. And like that's to be what governs his actions, even when it comes in conflict with the, the empire. Um, and so I, I think we. I think we have to hold that tension of like, yeah, what is kingship now that we're in the New Testament? What is Jesus possibly doing that is new? You know, like even in Isaiah, it said, I'm up to a new thing, right? And so like, like what is new that Jesus is maybe doing um, that still is um, still keeping the best of what was? And I, I want to respect the, the Hebrew scriptures and not say like we should just do away with any expectation there. Because I think Jesus is the fulfillment of that, not the, you know, 2.0. I'd love to combine what you're saying with what Lisa said about human imagination, right? Yes. So if, if humans can't imagine anything other than kingship, 
Yes. What we've then been imagining is, oh, the way forward is that we have a king that's different from these other kings. That's been our imagination so far. That's sort of the best we could grasp as humanity is we have a different kind of king. And, and so then inside of Roman rule, after all that history, it'd be natural that people are thinking the same thing. Oh, the answer to this oppression is that we rise up our own king. And that's sort of what the Hasmonean dynasty was. Like, well, that's the answer. And it seems like Jesus is saying, okay, if you want to talk king, what's actually the answer is God is king. It's not about nation. It's about this bigger sense of humanity and the goodness of the world and what it looks like to follow God and not seek a human king anymore. Right. Um, which is sort of using our imagination that we already have and expanding it and blowing it up and saying, if we are all in one kingdom, if the king is actually God, then I am a fellow citizen with Rome, as you just named. I am a fellow citizen with Greece. I am a fellow citizen with Egypt. Like all of a sudden my walls are blowing up because mm -hmm. that kingdom includes everybody. So how am I then called to live if it's not an us versus them? That's the ultimate question, right? What do you do when it's not an us versus them? Because Jesus doesn't one time in the gospels say, we need to figure out this Rome thing. It's a problem. Like he doesn't like he, you know, when he's directly asked, should we pay taxes? He's like, yeah, go for it. You live here. Right. Like, like, that's what you should do. It's not the end of the world. Like, but there's something more important. It's your life. What do you do with your life? What do you do with who you are and how you live in this society? That's more important than your financial, you know, wealth. Like you can give that back to the country that demands it of you, but your time, your energy, your um, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control are what I want to govern and what I want to have sway over because it needs to be put to use for the kingdom of God. And, and that's loving your neighbor and loving your enemy. Mm -hmm. Well, and so there's some language here about it's your kingdom come, and then it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is that? That's, you know, that's married together. What is kingdom and will and earth and heaven? Like what is really being said there in that prayer? What is, what are we hoping for? We've, we've kind of used before in this prayer, there's a way of pr this prayer is orienting us. Mm -hmm. What's the orientation if we're asking for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Uh, say it again. So it's a whole, um, how did I say it? <laughs> In studies, I'll ask people to repeat and I'll get mad at me. And now all of a sudden you ask me to repeat and I'm like, I don't know what I said. Um, so uh, this, it's a whole, um, it's a few lines married together. So it's not just your kingdom come. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we're talking about this prayer as being a way that we're oriented to something, that's kind of what we talked about in the first section of this prayer. What are we being oriented to with that request of God's kingdom coming and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, in some ways, it, there's a presumption that we know what it is, <laughs> which I feel like most of the time we're wrestling with. Of like what, I mean, throw back to the what would Jesus do movement. Um, <laughs> you know like in some ways it, it, that is that's always the question because so much of our lives are um like how much is god's kingdom like how much like how much of my daily decisions are are like kingdom decisions 
Like, does it matter that I'm choosing to take a vacation this week and what I do with that time and where I go and how I spend that? Does that matter? How does it matter? <laughs> like, and then sometimes it's like super overwhelming if you think like every decision. And then in some ways, how we got here is by not considering um, what God would have for us and for our neighbors. Um, just in how the United States was colonized. It, there's, that did not look neighborly, but mm -hmm. even on a, I mean, it was horrific. And so like that, I, but it makes it seem easy. Like, it's just like your will done, like here as it is in heaven. And I don't know. I wish I, I wish it was easier to understand what it is. Well, and let's look, let's maybe see how maybe this it's me. Also, maybe maybe it is clear, and I just don't want to do it because it's hard. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think of that's, this. That's a profound thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it in part visually, like, like I think it it affects how we think about this, and we think about what it means for a kingdom to come. I think like that, that what it means for the will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in part is our visualization of what it is for a kingdom to be coming. So my visual is sort of, he's our, Jesus has already set up that um, don't pray like, like these other nations who think they have to get God's attention because God is far away and distant. And so now there's a way that this, I read your kingdom come as like the kingdom is it's, it's here. It's not distant. But if the kingdom has sort of descended from heaven to earth, that means everything's a jumble. I am both living under Roman rule and the kingdom is here, which means it is confusing, like Lisa said. Like it's sort of like now overlapped these two things and not separated them, which can actually make it harder to discern what's what, because it's not this esoteric spirituality that's separate from my everyday life. It's saying, oh, the kingdom is a part of my everyday life. Well, what the heck does that mean about things like taking a vacation, making the decision about what to eat for lunch? What matters and what doesn't matter if the kingdom is here and overlapped with my everyday life? Yeah, I mean, I really love that tension, Lisa, that you're sitting in. I think it's really important just to name it and to like be able to, to sit in it. And then we all have to like wrestle with that and then and then figure out how we're going to navigate that tension. And, and that tension is like thinking about it all the time, thinking about it none of the time. If I think about it all the time, it can get overwhelming. If I think about it none of the time, then I'm probably going to just fall into the patterns that are like really destructive and unhealthy for like all of creation and, and my neighbor. And so, yeah, how do we, oh man, you know, like, cause every little choice could be, you know, trajectory altering right from like where you buy like where your jeans are coming from to where your food comes from to what you do with your spare time do you get spare time like you know is that healthy and you know how are we how are we navigating all of that and and we can we can have other conversations about all that but i think ultimately what we're asking is how much of this kingdom of god orientation should like how pervasive should it be in our lives well, I, in oh go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say like the Greek when I looked at the Greek word for um the kingdom come um and I the I, well erkomahi it like it also has a sense of being revealed which makes me think wondering about 
um, that it's just never been separate. And like, we just, for, we right. always we separate it. And sometimes it's in the boundaries of it's other, because how we set up outside, inside, like who's in, who's out is also very naturally happens then with kingdom, but like the, the kingdom be revealed means like the kingdom is already, like, it's already there. It's not. It's, it's standing like off. it's happening and we just need eyes to see it, which is maybe yeah. why Jesus says that constantly. May they have eyes to see, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And also like what you said about it needing to be revealed and it's already here, we just might not notice it is it it reminded, I don't know why, but it reminded me of like in John three, when it says the spirit is like the wind and it kind of blows and you don't get to determine it. So instead of trying to get this fixed idea of the kingdom and saying like, this is what it is. Now it's clear. I don't have to think anymore. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this revealing thing means I have to constantly be attuning myself to the kingdom and be open to its revealing and its presence, maybe even where I wouldn't expect it, just like the presence of the spirit might be showing up where I least expect it. Like there may be love and goodness and wholeness and, and reconciliation happening in places that I would not expect. And Lisa, I think you're the first person to probably say, yeah, I see it in places you might not expect um, because of your work in the prisons. Yeah, it's there. I see it more clearly. Clearly, it is crystal clear there. Right. Well, and that all reminds me of when we we then connect this to on earth as it is in heaven. What you just said, Jason, reminds me of Genesis 28. So in Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run after his, uh, he's, there's a stolen blessing. His brother wants to kill him. So he has to go flee to his uncle Laban. And on his way there, he comes to this thin place and he lays his head on a rock. And in that place, he has a dream of angels, messengers, ascending and descending to and from heaven and earth, where it's where there's a clear vision of a passageway between heaven and earth, where it's not just that they're coming down, it's that they're going down and coming up. There's a connection that he did not know was there. And when he wakes up, he names the place Bethel, saying, surely God was in this place and I knew it not. This is the very house of God, this rock that I laid my head on. And so how is that the same message all the way back in Genesis 28 of God is here. There is heaven and earth are connected. God's will is being done here, but you got to see it. That kingdom has to be revealed. And can we, can we find our way in it? Well, that's why it's helpful to have it in a prayer to remind you that you have to constantly be looking for the revelation, right? Like, like helpful to have a prayer that like, just lets you, reminds you. I mean, if that was the way the Lord's prayer, if that was the way the Lord's prayer was was, was used as a reminder that we constantly need to be open to the God's revealing of the kingdom in our midst, gosh, that would be nice. But so often it's more like, we're going to pray this just to almost fulfill a duty of what good Christians do, you know, and or we pray it. I, I also think of your kingdom come being a prayer. We pray about the other guy. Oh, that place where yes. you're not over there. Bring your kingdom right. over there. Right. Instead of show me how your kingdom is already here and your kingdom is already there. You are already there. Help yeah. me see it. Help me help that be revealed. The other, this verb in Greek, um, erkomai is can also be translated as a company. So your kingdom accompany me. Yeah. Your kingdom come forth, your kingdom be seen, all of that. Mm-hmm. You're already here. Help me understand and see. Yeah. 
And I think there is something unique about like the wholeness and the reconciliation and the the shalom of like this idea of heaven and earth being a place where it's not yet, you know, the way it should be. So there's already this kind of this already but not yet thing happening here. And I mean, we rec- we have to recognize like the earth is not like the way it should be. Like that that is clear throughout scripture that there's something broken in relationship. There's disharmony and disunity going on and there's an expectation that we're moving towards unity which is both an effort and a and a and a seeing um it's a it's a recognizing but i think there also is something about like we have to work at this like i mean it's the bible is pretty clear that like you got to put forth effort to like help this thing happen mm-hmm. it requires something of us i mean that's the will part right like may your will be done like what is what is will other than like get to work you know well, maybe that's that also is a different way than we often read it. We're asking God to do something often. When you say your will be done, we're saying, God, go do something about that. <laughs> take Instead care of it. Of, huh? Go take care of it. Go take care of that thing versus if I'm yeah. if I'm asking to see God's kingdom and for God's will to be done, right. am I praying that prayer as a prayer of participation? No, no. Because when I pray that prayer, I like literally can hear myself in my brain. I do it. Like there's a lot of internal dialogue and things. And in this particular space, the internal dialogue, it's in that thing of like, I don't actually know what the right decision is. So God, just make the decision. Like, Mm -hmm. just take care of it. Like, like, I can't, I don't know. (laughs) Just do it. Cause there, that's, that's what I want to have happen. That's what I want that to mean when I pray that. Which is okay. (laughs) I think at some level, that's not the end of the world, Lisa. Like I, I, because like, you're not. You're not God, right? So, like, you need to like have a healthy posture about what you're able to do. But I, I think, I think, kind of step one is to like recognize, man, this is all too wonderful for me. This is all too big for me, and it's okay that I just need to like ask the divine to like intercede and like do the will thing and do the kingdom thing. But then I think the next question is, well, then what's my part to play in that though? Because right. I'm praying to this, so I want something to happen. So now, what's my role in it all? Well, it's like, I have to remember that it's co-creation. There you go. Because what can happen is I can stall out and just let God take care of it. And I, it actually is a way for me to stay away from doing the things that are scary or hard. Yes. Like it kept me, like in lots of ways, it kept me out of prison work for a while because like, just have God take care of it. Like God could justice, bring your justice, let it roll. Mm-hmm. And if I do nothing, I mean, is it still a valid prayer? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, there's a miss for me. Yeah. I run into this as a pastor constantly when I think about pastoral care, because I've always been in like the associate role where it's, it's really like the pastor of care or the senior pastor who's supposed to like, you know, do the tangible, like visiting and connecting. And, and I'm really good at saying like, I'll pray for people, but the, the relational thing is not always the easiest for me. And what I have to like, I have to say the prayer, but then the prayer has to be like, uh, and then what Jason, because like praying is great, but if you're not actually in relationship and like providing tangible care, then you're not really living into the prayer that you're praying. And so, um, prayer is like a starting point and then it, it's got to launch us into something, I think. So I think that's a great Uh, question to wrestle with of like, if we're praying for God's will to be done, what does that mean? It's ours to do. 
And how do we just hold that tension of saying some things are God's and some things are ours, and it's hard to know how to live that out. And what does life look like when we're wrestling with that and letting that be a hard question? What is ours to do? everyone thanks for listening to part two of our conversation on prayer we're happy that you are joining us just as a reminder part three will be released early next week we'll be wrapping up our conversation on the lord's prayer with the final few verses so we look forward to having you back make sure you check out your podcast feed for that when it drops thanks again for joining us on searching the sacred